All right, good morning. Wow, it's fun to see all of you people here. I'm the most excited here today, though. I'm I'm serious about it. Um, I know some of you just got engaged, so you're pretty excited. Um, I know some of you just got married. Yeah, oh, yeah, what's up, what's up? Um, And you're pretty excited about it, but... um, so maybe I'm not the most excited. I'm, I'm starting to feel a little insecure about it now. But I'm very excited about this day today. Um, I feel like this is my first day. And, and what I mean by that is my, my family, we went to Ireland for nine months. Oh, by the way, pink shirt today, that's how excited I am. Um, and I know my hair is not real normal, but I'll figure it out soon, I promise. Um, but anyways, um, I came back from Ireland May 5th. And I've been just kind of listening for the Lord, catching up with everything. And I feel in some ways like this is my first day. Like I'm, I've been so ready to get running, so ready to get jumping, so ready to get walking, whatever needs to happen. And, and I just feel like this is a culmination. This is the start of something. Like I said, when I first took over Living Streams, I felt called. But for some reason, I feel sent this time. It's a very different feeling. Hopefully, it'll make sense over time. But, um, but yeah, I'm very excited about what we're kicking off, what we're starting today. With that being said, um, I have a few announcements real quick before we jump into our message. I want to thank uh, those who gave some finances to the church we're starting in Ireland. That came at a really key and crucial time, and they were very blessed by that. Um, it's very exciting what the Lord's doing there. I want to thank um, the people that opened up their home for a life group, and then their life group um, kind of has grown and matured, and now they opened up their home to a wedding within their life group, which is so awesome, and I, I got invited to do the wedding, and I show up, and it's literally, it's in a home, it's just the life group there, and some family came, and we did this wedding, it was just this beautiful, beautiful time, um, and I also want to thank uh, the person that just, for whatever reason, is, has been donating every month to our youth program to make sure that is well-resourced, and, and we, get, we get to see what the Lord wants to do there. With that being said, we also have youth winter camp coming up the first weekend of February. Woo-woo, yeah. It's going to be very cold, very fun. Um, and uh, I, I, what we're looking for is any, any youth, middle school and high school, that want to come, you can sign up, find information online. But also, we're always looking for people that might be able to pitch in a little finances to help some of those kids go that um, it's a stretch for financially. So if you're able to do that, that would be great. Next Sunday, we're doing baptisms again. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting because not, not just that we do baptisms, but that every single, like I think we do it every three months, every single time we have a whole new batch of people that are just saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go all in of all ages, of all ethnicities. It's been really cool to see what the Lord is doing and how he's growing our family here. And then with that being said, we're starting our fasting season and, and basically Sunday mornings, so you come to those. Um, for the next three Sundays, we'll be really focusing on this fasting season. And then the next three Wednesday nights, we're also doing some special stuff. We're asking everyone to fast during the day, no food, um, and then join us at 6 p.m. for some soup and then 7 p.m. for a prayer uh, night. The next three Sundays, whole church, if it's your thing or not your thing, it's your thing this month. Um, and uh, it should be a really great time, and we've been doing it for over about 10 years, and it's just this really, really rich time for our church, what the Lord does and how he ministers to us collectively, um, congregationally. 
So with that being said, will you join me in a prayer? Um, Jesus, we come to you and we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for your word that guides us. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us. Thank you for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for your love that covers it all. And we ask for your love to abound in our hearts and minds today, Lord. We ask for your love, your perfect love, to abound in our nation and in our world. As our nation sets aside tomorrow as a day to remember and celebrate the, the work and the message of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we really do ask, Lord, that your love would drive out hate and your light would drive out darkness. And that, the, that we would be agents of reconciliation, just like you were, Jesus, reaching out to those of your own nationality and, and those outside of that. And we do ask specifically for the conflicts in our world that, are, that we know about the, within Russia and Ukraine. Lord, we pray that somehow your spirit and your love would win the day and your peace would come. We pray that you really would rise up and, and uh, destroy the works of wickedness and the evildoers that are hurting your people and resisting what you're wanting to do. We pray you'd give great courage to the, the people that are standing up for righteousness. You'd give them wisdom and discernment. We pray the same for Israel and Palestine. Lord, that your will would be done, that there would be an end to the conflict, that there really would be peace, the kind of peace that you bring. And Lord, we don't know what's ahead in this year. We don't know what's all going to happen, but we know you'll be there. And we know it's going to take great courage for us to walk with you and to live as people of your kingdom in this world. And so we ask for help, Lord. We ask for focus. We ask for courage. We ask for clarity. And we ask for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for joining me in that. Um, preparation. That's kind of been the word um, internally, organizationally, as we've looked at uh, this next year. It's just a year of real preparation. Preparation for what we know is coming. Um, election here, baby. Who's excited? No? Um, preparation for what we don't know is coming. Um, I guarantee you there will be hard things in this next year. I guarantee you there will be the goodness of the Lord in this next year as well. Um, preparation for the, the, the storms we see on the horizon. Preparation for the actual battle that we're in today. A lot of life is preparation. We've really been focusing on what it means to be prepared. And so um, there's, a, there's a verse that's kind of become a little bit of a theme uh, uh, for me. Um, last week we had the prophetic Sunday and, and uh, this, is, this has been a little bit of a theme for for me, I want to share with you. It's 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, 
Be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And really the main takeaway for us more is just to be prepared. Peter was telling the, the, the people that he was ministering, the flock he was caring for, he says, you guys have got to be prepared for action. If you want to be able to overcome, if you want to be able to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, it's going to take preparation. It's going to take action. It's not just going to happen by accident or unintentionally. And so when we look at preparation, when we want to figure out how to prepare ourselves, our teaching team, we were like, how do we do this? We thought, well, let's just look at Jesus. There's no better place to look than Jesus and see what he did for preparation. Because um, what Jesus, you know, kind of went through his life, we know about his birth. We celebrated that, some really cool things. Um, We know when he was 12 years old, he spent the night at church. And then really nothing else until he's 30 years old. And when he was 30, something began to shift. Something happened where he decided it was time for him to engage in public ministry. It was time for him to kind of step into the fullness of what God was asking him to do. And so we're going to look in Mark chapter 1, if you want to grab a Bible and turn there. And we're going to look at what Jesus did to prepare. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So this is the beginning. This is the preparation of Jesus. There's a little John the Baptist preparation. There's a baptism preparation. There's a spirit leading him into the wilderness preparation. And then from the other Gospels, we know a little bit more details about what happened in those 40 days where he fasted. He didn't eat for 40 days. And I love one of the Gospel writers says, and he was hungry. It's like, because sometimes we read about Jesus and we're like, yeah, but he's Jesus. You know, fasted for 40 days. Yeah, but he's Jesus. But he was hungry. He felt the pain of that. And then he was in solitude. He was, he was there kind of by himself in the stillness and the silence of the wilderness. He was by himself. And then he fought with the devil. And so what we said is these next three Sundays, we're going to focus on those three things as practices, as, as ways to prepare our hearts for what's to come. The first is fasting. Who's excited about that one? Yeah, we're going to talk about that today so you can't escape. Um, we're going to talk about solitude next Sunday. So, come, <laughs> even if it doesn't sound that good. And then we're going to talk about fighting the devil. 
on the third Sunday, which everybody will show up. That will have you all the crazy people even show up at that one. They're like, oh, I love talking about the devil. Um, but anyways, so those three, those three things are the topics for the next three Sundays. Um, and, and basically what we're trying to do is we're try- we, we all want to live like Jesus. We want to all do, do the things that Jesus did. His life was beautiful. And it wasn't just beautiful to his own glory, but it was beautiful in the sense that people were lifted up. People that were sick were healed. People that had no hope were filled with hope and courage. And, and his life was so beautiful. And so we don't want to just kind of, you know, like Jesus. We actually do have the audacity to think we want to be like Jesus. We want to grow. We want to develop. We want to mature. We want to become compelling missional disciples like his disciples were. We want to become people of love, non-anxious presence in the world. We want to be, become someone that, that the people around us actually are lifted up. Their lives are changed. And so how do we prepare for that? Well, I love the, the idea here that, that it wasn't all about the miracles for the disciples. Yes, the miracles were an awesome byproduct of the other things that Jesus did. But there was only one time the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. They didn't say, will you teach us how to walk on water, although that would be cool. They didn't teach us how to, Lord, teach us how to multiply that bread thing, man, because I get hungry sometimes. That would be awesome. They didn't, teach, they didn't ask him to teach them how to speak with authority. What they asked Jesus to do was they asked him to teach them how to pray like he did. Because what they saw was that, that, that it was the prayer life of Jesus that led to the power life of Jesus. It was the private practices and disciplines of Jesus that led to the beautiful and powerful public life of Jesus. That's what they noticed as they watched him for those three years. They saw the connection. They saw he was so devoted to the simple daily practices of seeking the Father. That that's what was connected to all the cool things, all the good things, all the beneficial things. And so we must do the same. Um, there's different kinds of practices that we'll talk about. I mean, we're going to focus on three, but there's many more. Um, the way that they can be divided up is upstream practices and downstream practices. And all that means is there's going to be some that are really easy for you, are more natural to you. And then there's going to be some that just suck. It's just misery. And I, I mean, fasting has got to be like downstream for everybody, I think. I mean, I, I'm not saying it 100%, but still, fasting, that's just it's, just, it's not fun. It's not great. It's not enjoyable. It's not supposed to be. Um, but I did actually find when I was in Ireland for those nine months, um, I've, I fasted every Thursday. I just, for whatever reason, thought that's what I was supposed to do. I made it a practice. And really, the reason I was fasting was, was to devote myself to prayer and seeking the Lord because I was so burdened for the state of the church in Ireland, the Christian church in Ireland. Kind of, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nehemiah, but Nehemiah um, actually was so distraught, so overcome with grief because the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. And, and one day, the king asked Nehemiah, and he's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so bummed out all the time? And then he told him, and then that's where we get the book of Nehemiah. He goes and rebuilds the walls. But I, I mean, I just felt this just intense burning. It was almost like I could feel what God felt for the state of the church in Ireland. And it was heavy. 
And fasting actually became relief for me in this interesting way. I looked forward to Thursdays because it was the one thing I knew I could do to help, was to fast and then call some people together to pray. And there was something that kind of like, it was like the burden was more than the, than the hunger. It was a relief for me. So that's as close as I've ever got to enjoying it, but it still wasn't enjoyable. Um, anyways, so practices upstream and downstream, and then there's practices of engagement and practices of abstinence. So fasting would be ab- abstaining from food. It's a practice of abstinence. Solitude, practice of abstinence, pulling away from the noise of the world. Um, uh, practices of engagement would be things like service, service or justice work, um, prayer, study, hospitality. Those type of things would be practices of engagement. Um, and we'll get into some more of that type of stuff. Um, we also have this little card in the pew back in front of you. Um, I always feel like I'm on an airplane when I say that. <laughs> Um, and then we'll have some more of these in the back, but then also the stuff's online. And this is a little bit of a guide to kind of help us into, enter into these, this, this fasting season that we're in. So make sure you take one of those home with you. That's for you. Um, so anyways, now specifically fasting. We're going to focus on fasting. Fasting like Jesus did. Fasting like Jesus taught. So in Mark 2, 18 through 20, we have a story where Jesus is talking about fasting. And it might be surprising at first, but um, we'll glean something out of this. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. This is chapter 2, verse 18. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And if you're wanting to follow Jesus and you're reading the Bible, you read this and you're like, Yes, it says that Jesus' disciples didn't fast. That's awesome, but you got to keep reading. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It's time for celebration. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So it falls to us as followers of Christ that fasting is supposed to be a part of our discipleship. And what he's referring to as the bridegroom is that's him. While the bridegroom was there, it wasn't a time to fast, but just to enjoy and celebrate and receive all that Jesus was, that God had come. But once he was gone was the time where fasting was going to be appropriate. And in Jesus' day, it was a common thing for, for people to fast. Like he says, John's disciples fast, the Pharisees fast. And the teaching of that day was every Wednesday and Friday, the people of God, the people who wanted to seek God, the people who wanted to be known as people who sought God, they would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Kind of fast during the day and then eat at night. That was a common practice. In fact, you know, fasting is a pretty common practice in a lot of different religions as well. But that was the common practice at that point. But what was happening at that point is fasting had become something of kind of a a, a status symbol. Whether or not you fasted was whether or not you really, you know, were holy or not. And and the degree at which you fast or looked like you fasted kind of got you more, more credit in the church. They thought fasting and Sabbath were things that they had to do or, or God would punish them. Like it was something that you had to do. Instead of fasting and Sabbath as things which helped created space for encounter with God. Now it's very tricky we get fasting right because it's very possible to get fasting wrong. Fasting was supposed to help them see God, to notice God more, to be more aware, kind of have their heightened sense of when God is moving, what God is saying. And yet here these Pharisees 
and the apostles of, of John, they were fasting and, and instead of having a heightened awareness, they actually missed the fact that God was right there among them. So their fasting was not producing anything good. It was not producing a heightened sense of God. It was just producing kind of a little bit of righteousness, self-righteousness, kind of a feeling of, look, I pat myself on the back. I'm doing my duty. And so it's important to know that we can fast in the wrong way. Obviously, their fasting um, was empty. It was not focused on the right things. Um, and also, little good news here, there's no fasting in heaven, right? Because we'll be with the bridegroom again. That's good news, man. It's good news. It's hard. It's hard, man. Um, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks a little bit more about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount has still got to be one of the greatest little section of words the world has ever experienced. And many people have actually come to Christ just by reading the Sermon on the Mount and going, yes, yes. I'm sorry, Democrats. I'm sorry, Republicans. Your vision for humanity is just not going to get us where we need to go. But this one, this one's the real deal. But in chapter 6, um, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but he, he says three different things. Um, in verse 2, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. And then he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And then he says in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So a couple things here. Jesus is, again, he's saying this is what it's going to be like for the people of my kingdom. This is the stuff they'll do. This is what it'll feel like. This is, what, this, this is kind of the guidelines for it all. And he says to them, you know, a lot of different things, but specifically he names three practices. Giving, prayer, and fasting. And he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, as if it's a given that you will do this. It's not if, or if you're really that sad, or if something so bad happens, then you do. It's when you do these things. And then he says, when you do them, don't blow a trumpet before you give. Now, I know, it's so hard for me to imagine this. You know, because we do, I mean, we, we have a practice of giving at Living Streams. We encourage everybody to give 10%, but we don't blow trumpets. We actually ask people to kind of do it discreetly. You could do it online. You can, you know, I mean, there's lots of things. But it's so funny that literally these guys had turned the practice of giving into something where they would blow a trumpet. And then they would give their gift or something. I mean, you could, it just seems so bizarre but that's what we do often. We just, we just turn a good thing into a bizarre thing. It's just so natural. Christians are the worst at it, man. We do so many weird Christian things. Instead of just, like, keep it discreet, man. Do it chill. And then when they would pray, they would actually, you know, he's saying, don't, don't be like the Gentiles. You just start throwing out phrases. And I, I feel like I'm going to say something because I'm not talking about anybody specifically. This is just a general throw it out there. Be careful when you pray to not use every Christian word you know. You know, like, just, just, just say it, you know. And, and I'll say this in general too, but sometimes the Lord gods, you say so many Lord gods in your prayer. 
And I mean, I, and I've been, I've been guilty. It's like, Lord God, I just pray that you'd Lord God this and Lord God that. And Lord, it's just so good to know, Lord God, that you like. Again, the, the Lord doesn't care. It's no problem. That's not specifically what Jesus is talking about. But if you're praying out loud or something, just, you know, you don't have to sound cool. You don't have to sound, and, and to some, when you say so many Lord Gods, it doesn't even sound that cool anyways. Um, I, I'm, I know I'm prying here a little bit, and there's not, and now people are going to be all self-conscious when they pray. No, the whole point is don't be self-conscious when you pray. Just pray, it's fine or whatever. But, you know, it's just something to think about, something to think about. Sometimes, you know, you just smile. And anyways, Jesus is just saying, make sure you're not like, Oh, Lord, holy God, you know, like, just, you know, be yourself, be yourself. And then he says, when you fast, he adds that. And in the American church, the church in America, I just don't know how common fasting is as a part of our discipleship, but according to Jesus, it was a when you fast. Like, it was something that, that you participated in. When the bridegroom was gone, there's stuff to fast about. We should be fasting. And again, <laughs> Jesus, you can, you can just feel how kind of snarky he could be at times here. He's like, he's like don't look like the gloomy hypocrite. <laughs> you know, and he actually had someone in mind, and maybe they had just kind of walked through a group of gloomy hypocrites. And Jesus is like, you know, don't look like the gloomy hypocrite. So no one's allowed to look gloomy for the next season, you know, at Living Streams, fasting season, whatever. Um, they disfigure their face. They try and, like, help people think. And so what they're doing is they're just trying to get the, the praise of man, and they're missing the whole point of these practices. So that, that's, that's kind of the main aspect of what Jesus teaches about fasting is just, you know, those two things. I want to add a couple other voices in here. Andrew Murray, I love this quote. Um, from Andrew Murphy, he says, prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible and fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. In nothing is man more closely connected with the world of sense than in this need for and enjoyment of food. What he's touching on here is we all are addicted to food. And that might, might sound funny, but our relationship to food actually says a lot about our relationship with God. Our relationship with food actually says a lot about our relationship with our appetites and our desires. And I love what he says here is that in prayer, it's, it's us reaching to grab what is invisible. It's us basically saying we reach into God, we reach into heaven, and we say we need something from there for here. But then when you couple that with fasting, what happens is almost like instead of reaching to heaven with a closed fist saying, God, I need something, what fasting does is it releases our grasp on what is visible, what is natural, the stuff of earth that satisfies us. I love that song, Give Me Jesus. You can have all this world. I just want Jesus. And somehow like fasting is praying with our bodies. 
Like prayer is praying with our minds or our spiritual, but fasting somehow is almost like praying with our bodies. It's saying, God, I'm letting go of anything here that could satisfy as I reach into where you are because I want, I want to be filled with you. And that's how I, I mean, Andrew Murray, I love what he was saying there. Augustine was an was a early church father, um, and he was brilliant. He wrote a lot of different things, but he, said, he answered the question, why fast? He said, because it's sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh in respect to licit, desire, licit pleasures in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys. And basically what he's saying here is that it's important for us to at times kind of abstain from even good things in order to prepare ourselves for the day of temptation towards not good things, proper and improper things. So there's something about the practice that does prepare us for the day unknown when we abstain from, from those good things or licit things. And he said fasting cleanses the soul, raises the mind, subjects one flesh to the spirit, it renders the heart contrite and humble. It scatters the clouds of concupiscence, quenches the fire of lust, and kindles the true light of chastity. Anybody need anything like that in this season of their life? And for me, as we kind of get into this 11th or 12th year of fasting, I don't know exactly how long it's been at Living Streams, I've had times where I sought the Lord for specific things, and he answered. I had times where I sought the Lord for specific things, and, you know, still seeking the Lord for some of those things. I've had times where it was super meaningful. I was really excited about it. I have times where it was just like, oh, man, I should get a new job so I don't have to do this. Not really. I didn't really think that. But, but yeah, there's been a lot of different things. And so this time around, it's interesting. It's not fresh. It's not new. But I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this, this whole idea, this idea of our appetites. And I want to ask a question. Where are you at with your desires and appetites? Are you in control of your desires or are they in control of you? Yeah. And what, what spiritual disciplines, what the practices do, fasting in particular, what it does is it curtails our appetites. It gives us something practical that we can do to battle unruly or kind of wild appetites that we're experiencing. Because there are times where our desires just get out of hand. And so I, lo I love this idea of fasting as a practice to just kind of like trim the fat. Fasting as a practice to just kind of, hey, I don't want my desires to be ruling me. And again, we live in a world that's basically saying your desires are the true you. Your desires are the ones you deserve. Put it on credit. You deserve that. And the scriptures and the life of Christ is, is saying a different message. And so I wrote this. Fasting is a biblical and Jesus-y way to curtail and form our appetites in a godly way. We live in a society so addicted to gratification. I mean, one of the things we put on that card, I think, is 21 days of no Amazon, I think we put on here. Oh, maybe we didn't put it on there. Maybe we were too scared to put that on there. 
I mean, there's a comedian I think is so funny. He talks about how, like, Amazon, what's the problem? You know, I put your Alexa in my house. You have all your algorithms. How can you not know what I want even before I ask you for it? You just deliver it to my door, please. It's not, it's not fast enough to be our same day, all these things. I need it now. Um, and it's funny, but it's, it's an addiction to gratification. We're so addicted to con- consumption. I mean, could you imagine, let's say you're, you're a little older, could you imagine the younger you being able to consume as much streaming Netflix as you do now? I mean, it's, uh, we have been conditioned. We have been cultivated to be prime consumers so that people can make dollars off of us. They Literally, our attention is being sold as a commerce. And the people making the most money are the ones who are good at that business. Your attention, they own. And they make money off of it. That, I mean, we, it's crazy what is happening in the world. I remember going, sorry, there's a little too much information, but I remember going to the bathroom one time, a public bathroom. And, and a guy comes up next to me. I'm not looking at him or anything, but I know when he pulls out his phone. While he's going to the bathroom, and I was just like, what have we, what has come of us? There's not, there's there's no sacred space anymore where we don't have to consume. He's just like, "Mm, you know, checking email or something. I don't know what he's doing. But it's just, it's like every split second, and you can, it's true of you probably, whenever you get a, a free half hour lunch break, whatever it is, it's like, you don't even think anymore. You're like, dude. I'll just watch a show. I'll just do it. It's like, it's crazy how addicted to consumption we are in our day and age. And we're so self-centered. You know, project self, the love of self, um, we've been really conditioned towards that. So a practice like fasting can keep us from those natural society-encouraged things. More specifically, addiction to gratification is beautifully and powerfully curtailed by fasting. We're basically saying no gratification. You don't get to have your say in my life. It's a defiance. It's an act of faith against those things. Addiction to the stimulus and dopamine hits of our incessant consuming is curtailed by silence, stillness, and solitude. I mean, it's not rocket science here. It's really simple stuff. Just creating some silence and stillness and solitude in your life would be radical in this day and age. It's a total defiance to the world systems and what it wants. And it's creating an encounter, creating a space for encounter with God. And the worship of self is curtailed by prayer. That is when prayer is used to get our hearts in line with what God wants, not just telling God what we want. We've got to graduate past that, brothers and sisters. It's fine to bring God our requests, no doubt about it, but it, that can't be all that prayer is. Or we're missing so much depth and maturity in our prayers. Prayer is ultimately about trying to figure out what God wants and then getting our hearts in line with that. That's when prayer becomes powerful and exciting. 
When we abstain from food, we abstain from the gratification food brings, the strength that food brings, as well as the routine of eating that we're so accustomed to. Doing this creates a hunger and urgency in our bodies, which creates a passion and yearning in our souls, which creates a perfect space for an encounter with God. Now, please remember, fasting, solitude, all these practices, they're not rubbing the lamp to get the genie to do what we want. That is the wrong way to look at them. All they are is simply creating a space for God to show up and do something or not do something. It's totally up to him. But saying, God, I so desperately want you every day that I'm going to give you this space right here and nothing else gets it. And if you want to show up and do something cool, awesome. If not, I'm fine just sitting here and listening to you breathe. Because I want you. I don't want anything else. You are my one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And if we want to be real pre well prepared for what's to come, we've got to do these practices. Um, instead of turning to food and other earthly things to satisfy and bring relief, we channel the hunger, the desperation, about 3 p.m. on those days, a little desperation coming in. We channel that towards God, and doing this regularly creates the muscle memory we need to turn to God when temptation and trials come. It comes back to preparation. So with all this being said, here's really what we're asking. Um, and again, we'll get into it more over the next few weeks. But we're asking everyone to come on Sundays. So far, you did awesome. <laughs> um, and come with a, with a real heart to know and to learn to seek God. Sometimes we might not feel very passionate about God. And sometimes it's because we've spent our passions on other things. And so hopefully we can come on these Sundays and passionately seek the one who passionately gave himself for us. So we're asking that. We're asking for the next three Wednesdays for everyone to fast on Wednesdays from when you wake up until 6 p.m. Come here. We're going to have soup out there. It's good soup, you know. It's good, good to eat soup after a fast. And we'll have some soup, and then we'll come over here in the sanctuary. We'll have a prayer time, a great prayer time. So we're asking everybody to participate in that for three Wednesdays. And then we're having a 24-7 prayer week again, and we, we think it would be great if everyone would sign up for a slot in the prayer room. It's this real cool interactive experience that, that the, the team sets up. So take some time for prayer there. And then pick one thing. You can pick more, but pick one thing to abstain from for 21 days. Amazon, social media, sugar, <gasps> whatever. We got a whole list of things here you can, you can think about. Abstain from one thing. And then engage in one thing over these next 21 days. Maybe that's just every day you're going to give away $10 to somebody. Just see what the Lord does. Maybe it's every sunset you're going to just go for a walk and pray. Maybe it's in the morning you're going to get up and pray. Maybe you're going to do a little Bible study every day that you don't normally do. Maybe on the abstain side you abstain from political podcasts for 21 days. This thing is not going to protect me from anything, by the way. I'll have to turn it over and get real small. Yeah. That's all we're asking. And for you that maybe have, you know, done this before, I'm, I'd ask you maybe 
Maybe take another step. Maybe, maybe go a little farther. Maybe do two days. Maybe do one of those weeks you fast the whole time from morning till evening. Just kind of enter in. Because we don't want to get to whatever challenges or whatever struggles that are coming in this year and not be prepared. We want to be as prepared as we can be. So let's take a little time and pray and quiet our hearts before the Lord. And we're going to take communion at the end of this prayer if you want to grab the cup and just get ready. But in this time of stillness and quiet right here, Lord, Spirit, I ask that you would lead just like you prompted Jesus to go into the wilderness and fast. I pray that you would prompt us right now. If there's a certain appetite that's out of control, Lord, I pray that you would bring that to mind and you give us the courage and the hope to take it on with your strength. I pray you bring to mind certain practices that you know would be good for us. I pray you'd remind us every day to do the thing that you've asked us to do. Lord, we really do pray that this season would be rich for our church, rich with your presence, rich with your love, your goodness, that it would be real maturing and deepening, that the wells that we drink from, Lord, would go deeper into your love and into your truth. I pray for those who are struggling with alcohol or, or substance abuse or pornography or lust or gambling or the addiction to the approval of man. Lord, I pray that this would be just a real season of breakthrough for them, that freedom would come. And they'd experience your joy as their strength, Lord.